This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. This week, the Clarets face their final away game of this Premier League season, taking on the mighty Toffees at Goodison Park. This is the Known and Ever podcast. Hello and welcome to the No Name Never podcast. I'm your host Natalie Bromley and joining me this week is my regular panellist, my, what, the yin to my yang? I think that's the way I can say it. The guy that keeps me grounded and sensible, Statman Dave. Dave, welcome, welcome. Just me and you this week, Natalie. Yeah, well, I'm quite, uh, glad to be here. It's cosy. <laughs> it's just a little Bromley and Dave little love fest. Um, well, actually, that sounded a little bit dodgy than I think I wanted it to, actually. You know what I mean. Um, firstly, I think an apology. It is clearly a little bit later than we usually are this week, um, getting this podcast out. Predominantly, as I'm sure you can hear from my voice, I have succumbed to what feels like the bubonic plague. Um, so I've just... This is the first day that I've actually been able to speak, never mind get a podcast out. So um, apologies that you avid listeners have had to wait for this week's episode, and I certainly hope we will be worth it. Um, as a result, everybody's schedule has been thrown out of all whack, and so that's why there's just me and Dave on this week. But we have quite a bit to talk about because um, in between the Everton game on Friday night and recording this, what day is it now? Thursday, Thursday night we're recording. Um, we did have the Player of the Year Awards Turf Moor, which took place on Sunday night, and we uh, will flick to those later on in the episode because we did speak to a couple of you while we're at the awards, and we managed to, to get some some audio from that night. So we'll we'll have a look at the Everton game first, then we'll 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 have a look at, at the Player of the Year awards later on. Um, so let's get on. We've got uh, all sorts to talk about, Dave. I want to say. <laughs> that we weren't exactly on the beach. But I think fair to say that Friday night certainly had a little bit of sand between the toes. Um, yeah, it wasn't the, wasn't the best performance. I think we've got to give credit to uh, Everton. The, my take of the uh, certainly the first half was that Everton really came out of the blocks and didn't really give Burnley much of a chance to get on the front foot. So, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes, it was, it was all Everton. You were wondering when the, when the goals were going to come. 
Um, and you know, cr- credit to Everton for for getting on the ball and and being positive. They have got a reasonably uh, good run at home. I think they were th- they won the last three before they they played us. They were on a really good run um, at home before that, and they certainly continued that on the, on Friday evening in front of the Sky cameras. Yeah, they did, and I think this quick start that, that we knew that that we were going to face I think also coincided with once again quite a slow start from Burnley and this is something that we've talked about quite a lot this season and it's a problem that has plagued them for most of their campaign whether it be the start of the game or, or coming out of the dressing room after the half-time break they, they do seem to start quite slow at the moment and and we were punished you know the, the damage was done with 20 minutes on the clock I think one of the things that bothered me I think was whether we should be expecting more from this Burnley side with with two games to go and actually Dave I think I'm all right with this um at the end of the day this has been a very hard campaign for many reasons and we've talked about it so much over the episodes about the challenges that this team have faced and what they've had to overcome to get Premier League survival and to start next season in the top flight again so can we really ask these players to go hell for leather on the the final away game of the season, throw absolutely everything into this game um, when there's nothing really riding on it? And and I I don't think we can. I think these players have earned the right to just go out on Friday night and have a relaxed game of football, enjoy their football and just play with that freedom of knowing that the result doesn't matter. And when that happens, you're usually going to get beaten if you face a side that's just better than you. And Dave, I, I just thought that Everton were just the better side on the night and they were certainly more clinical up front. Yeah, I thought we were swamped a little bit in midfield as well. I think not having Dwight McNeil in the starting lineup, it was um, mentioned afterwards that it was just a, a, a tactical thing, just uh, resting Dwight McNeil. The fact he'd played uh, so many games since uh, well, since Boxing Day, wasn't it, when he, uh, when he came into the side. Uh, first of all, um, and I think we just missed that impetus that we have when uh, Dwight's in the side. I think when he came on later on, he perhaps didn't have the same impetus that he's had in other games from the start of the match. Um, I mean, that has an in- impact when you're already two goals down at that that point, but um, just certainly at the start of the game, a couple of changes in midfield, that did seem to affect us a little bit, and that combined with the fact that Everton were... Uh, very positive. They they came into the game with a real positive attitude, got on the front foot and tried to really um, press Burnley from the off. Um, and yeah, the, those, uh, those it was not a surprise when the uh, when the goals when the goals came. Yeah, I think it doesn't surprise me to hear you saying that about Dwight McNeil. I mean, you've been saying for weeks now that his emergence in this first team probably saved us this season. That's one of the reasons why you decided that he was your player of the season in the end, Um, because just his influence on the team since that Boxing Day fixture has helped us to survive. And I I didn't really mind about the changes being made. Like I said, there was an... I I don't like to say nothing game, because you still want to be competitive, but there wasn't anything fundamentally riding on it. And... um, I, I was quite happy to see changes be made. Um, I would have, I would have made more changes. I actually thought Ben Gibson could have done with some game time. I wouldn't have minded if Nick Pope was in there. Um, we're a little bit 
you know, shackled with what we can do up front and certainly out wide with the players that we've got. But, I, you know, I would have happily seen more players um, have a bit of some game time. Um, but yeah, like you say, it made no surprise at some of our brighter spells in the second half and when we started to make chances. I think our first chance was, what, 58 minute when Wood had a shot? I think that was um, our first chance. That was all after McNeil had come onto the pitch. So... You know, it doesn't. It doesn't surprise me really that that that's a direct correlation. What does surprise me though, Dave, even in a non-critical game, was the defence for both goals. Now, I'm going to ignore the fact that the first goal went off Ben Mee because I think he was desperately unlucky that hit him and ricocheted in. And you could argue it was probably going wide, but you don't think there's an awful lot you can do about that. But Dave, for both goals, our defence were fast asleep. Yeah, I mean the the lead up to uh, the first goal was disappointing, and uh, it, well, certainly it was apparent from the uh, from the replays that the shot was going wide. Desperately unlucky to hit Ben Mee and uh, and and go in on that one. It wasn't apparent. Uh, when it first happened, that there was even a deflection. I suspected there was one. Um, it took the replays to uh, to confirm it, but it was really, really unlucky that it went in off uh, Ben Mee. But yeah, we have to roll it back a little bit from that and say that the build-up play, Burnley perhaps weren't as uh, on the ball as they should have been. They let uh, Everton get forward, um, and yeah, they, they they took the chance. Another shot from outside the box. We've talked already on uh, previous podcasts about just how many goals Burnley have conceded from uh, shots outside the box this season. And that was uh, yet another one, unfortunately. And then for the second goal, going on to that, um, yeah, it was uh, it, it was one, wasn't it? it again, uh, Tom Heaton, in the end, made a re- really good save. Um, but when the ball came down, there was um, uh, no one there to, to stop Coleman, put the ball in the back of the net. Uh, Richarlison, I think, was in an offside position. He didn't touch the ball, so he wasn't involved. So... Uh, Coleman was free to uh, to strike away from uh, well, what was he five six yards away? Uh, no one on him and uh, couldn't really miss from there. I'm quite interested to hear you say obviously that the save that that Tom Heaton made because I've seen a staggering number of reports that were really critical of Tom Heaton for that second goal, um, saying that you know he's palmed it when he shouldn't have palmed it. He wasn't under a, an awful lot of pressure. He should have just collected it. And actually, the, the problems of him not being able to do that were caused by his own bad positioning. And he'd, he'd almost taken himself off balance and gone for the other side of the net. And the more I look at that second goal, I, I'm struggling to see where people find any justification to criticise him for that. Yeah, the ball definitely moved in the air a lot. It was um, coming through um, one or two bodies as well. So I think he, he did really, really well to get something on it. I mean, it was unfortunate in the end the way the ball did fall that it was uh, well more of a, uh, a, a tapping, wasn't it, for uh, for Coleman for for Everton. But um, I don't think he'd be too critical of Tom Heaton for for that one. He made another couple of good saves um, throughout the game. Um, didn't have. Uh, a lot else to do, but the uh, that that particular moment, I don't think we can be too critical of him for that. I thought he uh, he did well with the shot, and it's just one of those things. Perhaps the defender should have helped him out a little bit more um, for the rebound and uh, and been on there again. Another one with with luck as well. It could have fallen to Richarlison. He'd have touched it. Then he would have been offside. So um, again, perhaps Everton gained from a little bit of luck in that incident, um, as well as the first one when it got deflected in off Ben May. I agree. You always have a good way of explaining these things, Dave. Um, the other thing that, that certainly the, the anti-Burnley press likes to 
um, have a pop at us for at the weekend, and I think this is probably justified, was the very, very few chances that Burnley created in that game. I think, as I mentioned before, um, 58 minutes on the clock before we had um, a shot. Uh, we actually just didn't create anything at all. I think Barnsley had a, a goal that was rightly ruled off um, offside. Um, and I think um, there was uh, Matty Vidra's chance, which we'll come on to in a minute, with, with Keane's um, push on him. He'd got himself in a good position. But for me, Dave, one of the things we absolutely have to concentrate on next season is just creating more. I think... Um, We've seen spells of it this season. We've seen pockets of of goal fests, but on the whole, I don't. I think we need to be working on creating more in games. Yeah, it was another one of those games where we didn't didn't create enough. Incidentally, with the chances you mentioned, the one that uh, was probably the best chance was um, Ashley Westwood's header in the. Uh, uh, sorry, it wasn't actually Westwood's oh, header. God, yeah, Robbie, of Robbie Brady's header, wasn't it in the um, uh, yeah. in the first half. Um, Ashley West would have yeah, I completely forgotten about that. And the header, it just kind of glanced off him, didn't it? But uh, when when you look at the um, expected goals, that opportunity was about seven or eight yards out, I think. Um, that one had the best expected goals points of all the uh, chances Burnley had. Yeah, you're right. I think uh, expected goals. <laughs> That's I've got to say, and I'd be interested if any of you feel the same way. I know Dave loves things like this because he's Statman Dave, but this new concept of expected goals is i hate it it just it's one of the modern football things that i really hate so please tell me if any of you also hate it <laughs> just uh, probably because burnley do really badly in expected goals tables but you know i tend to not really like anything that that, that has a pop at us um i'm going to turn down his head though and say we, we actually do really well because oh. we get more goals than you would expect to get from the chances we create and at the other end we don't concede as many goals as you would expect to concede from the chances that go against us. So okay. we kind of turn expected goals on its head, if that makes sense. Well, that does make sense. And that does make me feel a little bit better. But I just the whole expected goals thing, it, th- there is a significant number of football fans who don't watch football and they write articles and they write pieces and they um, categorise teams purely on stats and I'm old-fashioned. Call me a dinosaur, all you want, but I, that to me just doesn't make any sense. Um, so that's that's where my beef comes from. Um, Dave, the other major talk. Well, one of two major talking points from the game. Number one, man of the hour, Ashley Westwood. Does he walk? Does he not walk? And I'm pretty sure you'll know what incident I'm talking about. Yeah, it's um, it's one of them where the it did show the picture, didn't it? Afterwards, the uh, the stud marks on uh, uh, Schneidlin's thigh, wasn't it? Um, saw it at the time. Both players looked to be going in. Um, in the end, uh, Schneidlin came off worse from the challenge. There's no doubt about that. Um, and it's one where, with other referees, yeah, they could have seen that a different way. And um, it, it, it's, it's perhaps Sean Dyche's definition, isn't it? It's perhaps a, an orange. Uh, an orange card um, and they can go either way Um, I mean we want to see 11 against 11 on the pitch and I think to my mind with both players going in as they were it would have been harsh to uh, see him walk for that one but equally I can see the other point of view I can see why Everton fans thought that uh, he'd perhaps been a little bit naughty gone over the top there and uh, it, it could have been worse 
I think the thing that worries me most about these tackles and analysing them is the effect that VAR is going to have next season on them. Um, we've seen it so many times and as, as television coverage has becomes of as sophisticated as it is that um, a tackle in real time on the pitch can look what it is. It can look like two committed players going for the same ball and, and just an accident that one of them clips the other. But whenever you take camera angles and you slow down footage, you can almost manipulate any scenario to fit the narrative that you want it to. And I'm absolutely convinced that we are going to see next season vast majority. We're going to see a lot more red cards. We're going to see the vast majority of on the fence um, tackles given as reds or as yellows or free kicks. Um, and that, that's, I guess that's what I'm worried about more than anything, because we are losing the spontaneity of the game and we're losing the we're losing the talking points you know we're going to end up with a perfect game and one of the things that i love about football is the being able to come on a podcast after a game and talk about the injustices whether they go for you or against you and talk about the passion and, and talk about how um oh my god you know we were robbed and things like that and and of course we we don't want massive injustices and i understand what's riding on it but I'm just I think that Westwood incident and the differing coverage that I've seen of it has just made me a little bit fearful as to where we're heading next season but that's for another day let's worry about that later um the other one of course was uh, our friend Michael Keane who bless him seems to have resurrected his career at uh, England level and at Everton level um, ridiculous push on Matty Vidra. Um, I think, well, I think there's two things, Dave. Um, it, was it a push? Was it not a push? So should it have been a foul? And secondly, was it inside or outside the box? Go, go, go. Uh, well, f- first of all, it's a nailed on foul. I think it, it, uh, Jesse Lingard does that and it's, um, well, he falls differently, pushes his legs out. Um, Mo Salah are the same. They they fall differently and make a meal of it, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be blown up for. I think the, there was a slight doubt regarding the um, uh, whether it was inside or outside the uh, the box. I think Sean Dyche um, alluded to this in his press conference after the match as well. So he kind of held his hands up and said, "Well, you know, I wasn't one hundred percent sure whether it was definitely inside or outside." That might be the sort of thing next season again that VAR can clear up where. You know, at the moment, the referee gets one chance, doesn't he, to, to see and, and make that decision. Um, so even even if he had seen it as a a foul, it may well have ended up um, being a free kick on the edge of the box because he wasn't 100% certain that the player had gone into the area when the contact was made. But um, I, I think it's a nailed-on penalty, to my mind. It's, it's a definite foul, it's a definite push. And it was just inside the box. Um, it should have been a penalty to Burnley, which would have perhaps were a different reflection on the game. If Burnley had got that penalty, got a goal back, then we'd have seen a, a, a different end to the uh, match. But as it was, Everton got cushioned really back the game after that. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. And, you know, these guys have got competitive edges in them and they are professionals. And I think, like you say, if we'd have managed to get that goal back, it just gives them something to aim for towards the end of the game it just gives them something that they can try and push on and and, and, you know to get one more point and and get 41 on the board I think would have been a really impressive return but like you said 2-0 was always going to be a massive um, uphill challenge wasn't it for our boys but I again you see I'm now going to contradict myself which I think you're all going to laugh at 
I, in real time, was absolutely adamant that it was a penalty and it was inside the box. But from certain angles in replays, it definitely looks like it's outside the box. So, ah, you know, we're never going to get any agreement with this. VAR, television cameras, what, what's my point? Do I? I don't know. Um, it, it's it's a difficult one. But I think uh, it didn't surprise me to not see it given in our favour. And that's certainly something next season I would quite like to to go back in our favour and that I would quite like us to get the benefit of some of these decisions. This season's been better than last. We've actually had penalties. We've had luck go our way for once. Jeff Hendrick, I'm looking at you. Um, but it's still weighted way too heavily in favour of the big team. So, um Dave, last point for you. I think Deitch was quite, not critical as such, but I think he was quite pragmatic and quite relaxed in his post-match interview. He said that he felt that actually in the first half, his Burnley side weren't a million miles off. I probably beg to differ with him there. I think we were a bit bobbins in the first half. But I was massively encouraged by that second half performance. Um, But I think... One thing we maybe need to look at, and I hadn't realised this, is that all season we've only beaten, we've only won two games when we've played those teams in the top half of the table. Um, That's not going to cut it every single season, Dave, is it? Um, So I think for me, next season, we've got to be working on that creativity and and create some more chances and also looking at improving those results against the top 10. Um, Would you disagree with that? Or is there anything else that you would add on to there as well? I think we've we've certainly got to build on it in terms of um, the second half of the season performance generally. We know we weren't good enough uh, up until Christmas. We, we, We only got 12 points from the first 19 games. Um, and the return we've got since then, with with two sort of indifferent spells in there. We had a, a run of four matches, uh, four losses, um, and then we've had two losses and a draw. Obviously, a really good point at uh, Chelsea in between, um, but a, um, obviously a defeat against um, Manchester City at home, and then this defeat against Everton. We don't know yet how the uh, match against Arsenal is going to go. We knew all the time that this last four games were going to be really, really tough. Um, you know, putting that to one side, it's been really good to be able to play those games and not have the pressure on because we thought, well, you know, if you'd have said to anyone at Christmas that Burnley were going to those games and um, were effectively be safe, anyone would have thought you were uh, were crazy saying that at Christmas because that's such a good run um, turn things around prior to that. So we've got to give a little bit of leeway to it. But going back to the point about the um, next season and trying to build on it, yes, we need we need to be. Uh, more creative. We need to be um, not losing the, uh, the 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 resolute defending and pressing game that we've got, but build on that with um, creativity from midfield. Again, I think we've got options up front to be able to uh, you know score goals if uh, if the right service is there. But there's been too many games this season when the strikers have been feeding off scraps and. Well, yeah, you look look at the, the chances that were created on Friday night, and that was another one of those games where, really, you know, wooden uh, Barnes, other than Barnes did score a goal, didn't he? But it was a couple of feet offside, took it really well. Um, but that was the only real sniff at goal that he got throughout the game. Um, and Chris Wood didn't get too many other chances, other than to say Chris Wood did get flagged offside um, and get his 50th offside of the season. So that was a, uh, that was a boost. <laughs> I do. I can't help it. I do love Chris Wood. We, we are. We are jesting. Um, one we of the things that I'll come on uh, to. But uh, uh, producer Matt actually came up with a good reply when I'd uh, tweeted that stat out 
earlier in the week. And uh, we've, we've had the golden boot and the golden glove. Um, he suggested it should be the golden flag. There should be a golden flag award for the most offside. So uh, <laughs> uh, Chris will be winning that one. He's 13 ahead, it. so I think he's, he's safe going into the last game of the season. He's going to win that one comfortably. Yeah, I think he is as well. Do you think he would? Do you think he would see it in jest if we mocked up a golden flag and sent it to him? I don't want to offend the guy. I really like I him. Don't know. <laughs> Just like, feels like there's an opportunity there to send it in one a bit of jest. Um, indeed. Well, I think we'll we'll end that there in our coverage of the Everton game. It's it was a difficult game to cover, really, because you know it's it's hard to get that excited about um, a game where we, the job's been done this season. But I think as one listener quite rightly pointed out to me early on in this week that there is still prize money to play for so I don't think we should necessarily hang up our boots and just course till the end of the season just yet I think like I said earlier there is a balance between resting these players and and not flogging them when um, they've had the season they've had so I fully expect that Arsenal will be the same you know it's it's end of season and it's it's a relaxed time and, and it's an opportunity for these players to go out there and and enjoy their football and enjoy playing under the floodlights of the Premier League which is what they've worked so hard for um as I said earlier on we'll we'll leave that there and we'll look now at a small matter of Burnley's annual player of the year awards a fantastic gala that is held at Turf Moor has become bigger and bigger every single year to the point where it's now unrecognisable the the media team and the catering team and, and the, the uh, corporate guys at Turf Moor do an incredible job of, of really celebrating everything that's good about Burnley Football Club I was there um, the took the, the Bromley family um, there we were very fortunate enough to, to be in attendance in some pretty impressive seats and um, here is the audio just to sum up what happened that night in the car on the way to the awards with Daddy B. Daddy, say hello. Hello. I see he's very excited about awards. And we also have the boy with me as well, Mr B. Boy, Mr B, say hello. Hello. He will actually be presenting awards tonight, and I'm not going to lie, I am absolutely raging that I didn't get picked. (laughs) I think you're presenting the Players' Player of the Year award. That's the one. So, yeah, the family Von Bromley are on their way to Turf Moor as we speak. Um, And we'll catch up with you guys a little bit later on. joined by the lovely Peter and Emma who unbelievably have come to the Play of the Year Awards on Emma's hen party and daddy daughter hen party. Peter just sum up for us what you kind of feel like this season's been? Um, I think we've had a, in a strange way I think we've had a good season. I think when we got into Europe we always knew it was going to be tough we knew it was going to be a long season I think we struggled with squad depth but I think all in all I think we've, we've been successful we're still in the Premier League yeah, I think that's a really good point, actually. It's quite easy, isn't it, to think that, oh, it's been a disappointing season because we didn't finish in Europe. But, it, you know, we're still here, and I think it's a really good thing. Um, Emma, a head party at Turf Moor with your dad. Congratulations on your wedding. Thank you. It's absolutely amazing. So, yeah, best way to celebrate my last few weeks of being single. <laughs> it is. And indeed, have you done the same thing that most of us done, where you've been coming to the football with your dad for, like, your entire life? Yeah, pretty much. I think Dad's had three daughters, so one of us had to become football obsessed. So, yeah, it's even when I was at uni down in Wales, it was always watching Burnley and I would come back just for the games. Oh, I love it. Well, a quick word with you before you go. Player of the season, Emma? Tom Heaton. Peter? Charlie Taylor for me. Excellent stuff. Well done, guys.
And I've just grabbed hold of Andrea Stamp, who is a director of marketing at Forbes Listers. Andrea, you have sponsored an award this evening. This is very exciting. Yep, exciting. We're back again as players, players player. It is. And you've handed over the reins this year. You usually hand this award now, don't you? I do, but I thought I'd done it for too many years. <laughs> and actually, it'd be good to have Mr. Adam Bradley. It admin. is. This is, listeners, you know this has made me very angry, so Andrew is to blame. Um, Andrew, it's been a bit of an up and down season. Uh, sorry, we're getting, we're getting bumped all over the place in the corridor here. It's been a bit of an up and down season, but we're asking our listeners this week, basically, to try and say who their player of the season was. And you've got a bit of a soft spot for one place i think i know you're gonna say i've always got a soft spot um yeah i've got a bit of a footballer's crush on um, tom hayton yeah <laughs> and i think everybody everything changed when he came back in december and he just commanded that you know the defense and everything but yeah tom for me but if i had to go for a second spot maybe ashley maybe possibly Ooh, West, westwood or barnes westwood yeah yes. i think that's yes. where i went with brilliant yeah. well andrea have a really good night and thanks very much for talking to us Absolutely delighted to be joined by Leah and Joe, Burley SC Women Champions. Girls, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. What a season. I mean, you must be. I've just been talking to Joe off air and she said that your your aim for this season was to avoid relegation. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, when we came up from the North Women's League, it was like avoid relegation, consolidation in the top half of the season would have been like an absolute amazing dream. So to win it, it's just immense. Our manager has a phrase. That impossible is an only an opinion, and it's a little bit like that. It is like, I feel like we've achieved the impossible. Impossible is only an opinion. That is amazing. What do you think has been the biggest difference this year to get you from champions? I think that the togetherness of the squad that we've got and how everybody just wants to work for each other, and we've pulled each other through some games when even games that we thought will settle for a draw, we pulled each other through and got the win. So amazing. I think that, that's helped us a lot. And I mean... Obviously, this is the first season you girls have been brought under the BSC and Community Wing. Has that made a massive difference, do you think? Uh, yeah, hugely. I think probably more the influence of our manager, Matt B. He's just been absolutely instrumental in terms of making sure that there's no nothing left unturned. He's made sure that absolutely every detail is attended to, make sure that we go out on a Sunday and know exactly what we're doing. Uh, and that's been absolutely fundamental in terms of making sure that we've been successful this season. OK, Leah, final word from you. What's the aim for next season? To do as well as we can do. Like the, Last season, the aim was to stay up and we've got promoted, so I don't want to say anything and then just do as well as we can do, that's what I think. Well, that's the main thing, is if you can inspire girls at grassroots to do the best that they yeah. possibly can, that's the best thing. Yeah. Final word, men's seniors, Joe, play the season for you. Uh, Ashley Westwood by oh, a million miles. Leah? Mine will be Ashley Westwood as well. Excellent. Burley SC women, guys, we've covered them a lot this podcast this season. They're going to be in a new division next season. Get behind the girls. Go down and see them whether you can. Best of luck next season. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. This is a really exciting one. The man of the hour, Scott Cunliffe. Only 118 marathons. I know. It took us a while, hasn't it, to get on the podcast together. It really so, has. yeah, I've been following you lot and following what you're saying and stuff, and it's great to see. Uh, it's great to see social media playing a big part in 
building the fan base and keeping us all as one club, one town and all that. I mean, do you think that the social media exposure has really helped you get to your fundraising target this year? For sure. I think digital's the, the way forward. Even like the national stuff, I get more clicks through the, me- the digital media stuff than I do through the conventional media. So, yeah, I think I didn't know I put all my chips in like all the different platforms and Twitter's been the one that's yeah, got off has. bigger. Uh, and it could have been Facebook, it could have been the others, but Twitter's been the big one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes when I'm a bit down, I'll just open the Twitter thing and go, you know, and see, like, I've, I've run into people saying, I follow you on Twitter, follow you on Twitter and that. Oh, it's buzzing, you know, and, and you've got to get... I'm not, you know, I'm not the youngest, so I'm a bit sort of adverse to that, but when you see it coming in, you're like, it's still real life, you know? So you're getting, you're getting buzzing off, off people, like retweeting you and, and liking you and all that it's brilliant yeah well I think that's the main thing sometimes 118 marathons there's got to be some low points in that way you just think my body's giving up my head's giving up and to see those people being able to support you and to keep you going stop £24,000 so far did you think you were going to get that far uh, there's always a doubt in your mind but it's the same as the running or the mental side of it you've just got to believe that you can do it really uh, at the start of the season we figured that was 38,000 was the average attendance and I thought if one stadium full of people football fans can give a pound each surely that's not too much to ask is it really? No it really isn't because no, it's a pretty big effort they've done so I thought if we can get get one stadium full of Premier League fans to give a quid each and we're donating the money to all the Premier League clubs spreading the love then surely that's possible so you've got to kind of believe that and we're about 10 grand off uh, and we're about 2 or 3 weeks from closing the window so I'm hoping now that I've done it traditionally people wouldn't you know, like, you know, you're going to fudge it, are you? You're not. I wouldn't. Twenty years ago, I wouldn't have given you money until you completed that marathon. Right, yeah. So, like, the way it is now, people give it up front. And you're like, no, no, no. So, I'm expecting a big push in the next well, couple we weeks. Do. And obviously, all of our listeners have been following your progress as well. They've been watching your podcast and watching it on Twitter. Do you want to give us for that final push? Just tell them, Sky, indeed. Do you want to give them that one final push of where they can donate to and where they can find the information? Very simple. Justgiving.com, the Runaway Challenge, and. Uh, just yeah, just keep on believing in yourself. You know, if you don't know, Nate, just pick yourself up and do what you can. You know, stay strong, stay happy, and stay healthy. Oh, what a message, guys! Scott Cunliffe, the man of the hour, and an absolute inspiration. So, Dave, all sorts to unravel there. I I love the fact that you can tell in that audio that that was the start of my flu (laughs) that I got this week. I'd come down with it just before the awards. And I think as the night goes on, I'm getting more and more shouty and I'm losing my voice more and more to the point where I think I was shouting at Push Scott Cunliffe at the end. I was like, Scott, this is amazing. So uh, hopefully producer Matt's done a a pretty good job of of making that easier and less jarring for you guys to uh, listen to. So let's unpick some of the the audio and some of the content from the Player of the Year Awards, Dave. And let's start with the actual awards themselves. It was a clean sweep in the end for young Ashley, 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 Rick Astley, never gonna give you up, um, for Ashley Westwood, who won this year the Supporters Club Player of the Year, the Players Player of the Year and the Player of the Year voted by the fans. Now, I was um, I was sat right behind the players um, with the sponsor, I think as you heard on the audio, my other half sponsored one of the awards and actually 
handed it out, which was jarring beyond words. I was so jealous. Um, And so I could see Ashley's face throughout the whole of the awards. And he was genuinely surprised and humbled. I do not think he was expecting it. Um, Now, I know you didn't vote for him in the end, Dave, but worthy winner yeah you can't begrudge it really and I think the 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 big one for me is what the players player of the year is so the fact that um or the supporters player of the year uh, mirrored what the players had gone for in terms of their player of the year that that does tell you something um and you know to be uh voted by your fellow professionals as as player of the year I don't know whether does that have more kudos from a player point of view I'm not too sure I think I both think it are does. Uh, important but to uh, to have your your teammates also um voting you for player of the year just to say what what a player he's been missing yeah it seemed pretty unanimous as well Dave from like they do um they do a great thing where they film the players giving their vote um of who they voted for and it seemed to me like everybody was was voting for him he was shocked yeah i think it's it's well it, it it's well deserved i think he's 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 had a difficult time when he first came to the club um, like several players, you know, not getting into the team uh, straight away, and then he's certainly this season he's, he's built on it from uh, uh, the early season through. He's, he's got better and better as the season's gone on, and I think he's he's that sort of player now. He's he's almost you know one of the first ones on the team sheet when uh, you know it's not not a surprise to see his name down there when uh, the, <laughs> it's not very often we're surprised by teams with uh, Sean Dyche anyway. I think he's uh, he's certainly earned his place in that side, and he's he's improved as the season's gone on, and it's good to see the uh, supporters appreciating that, um, and and him appreciating the support from uh, from the supporters and from his fellow professionals at uh, an event like Sunday. Yeah, it really was, and it was lovely to see as well. I just loved his little face. He was uh, he was just looking to the side of him, and he was just like, oh my god, like as if I don't. I genuinely don't think he was expecting it. Um, I was interested to see the shortlist because, as you just rightly pointed out, then Dave, they tend to mirror. Um, it's very. It's not very often that supporters and players and 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 the the fans generally get uh, it, not wrong as such, but they don't mirror each other. And the shortlist was exactly what we thought it was going to do with the addition of Ashley Barnes. So they shortlisted four players for Player of the Year. This is a fans vote: um, Ashley Westwood, Ashley Barnes. Um, Charlie Taylor I wanted to call him Matty Taylor then I was like no he's left Charlie Taylor and uh, Dwight McNeil and we we were all tied between Taylor McNeil and Westwood for weeks now um, obviously Barnes he went up there as well so he ended up running quite close with supporters but even though he didn't win what a journey to go from picking up young player of the year last year to being in the shortlist of four for player of the year just 12 months later. Well, yeah, and you could argue that if he'd uh, played more in the early part of the season, that might have uh, uh, pressed his case for, for, for getting that award as well. So, yeah, Dwight McNeil's had a real, real uh, rise, you know, getting involved in the England setup as well. I know he was in the under-20s, but then training with the full side as well. He's got a, a very, very bright future um, ahead of him. And we're, you know, we are privileged as Burnley supporters to see his development throughout uh, throughout this season. It's been a real pleasure to watch. It has, and I just really hope we manage to keep hold of him next year. 
I'm just like, please don't sell him. Um, moving away from the walls themselves, and obviously two other audio clips that you will have seen there. Um, for those of you, well, for those of you who have been living under a rock for the last twelve months, Scott Cunliffe, who is the um, creator of the charity Runaway Challenge, had set himself a goal this season to run to every single away game. Um, each one started at Turf Moor, and he completed that challenge at Everton. He has run 118 marathons and quite frankly, I'm just astonished with what he has achieved this season. As we recorded tonight, his Just Giving page, he'd set himself a target of £38,000 because that's um, the average Premier League attendance is 38,000. So we just thought it would be a nice round number. And he's already gone over 40,000. And that money is going to get distributed equally amongst the Premier League's other, well, their own club charities. So for us, it's going to be BFC in the community. Um, Dave, I, I, do you want you just look at somebody and just think, well, where did this come from, number one? And two, just how did you even finish that? It's staggering, really. I remember getting um, uh, a message from Andrew Greaves back in July, I think it was, um, saying uh, a mate of his was planning to run to all the um, away matches and would I like to get involved with um, a podcast they were planning to do. Uh, this was before I'd spoken to you, Natalie, about uh, getting involved on the uh, on the No Name Never podcast. Um, Dave, it's all right. You know, we, we didn't sign exclusivity. You could go on other podcasts. It's yes, fine. I Anyway, um, so so I said, yeah, I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'll be glad to do that. He wanted like a you know historical, statty look at the uh, the away matches for this podcast they were doing, and you like you think about it, and you, you know, running to all the away games is an you know, incredible uh, task ahead of you. But he's just taken it in his stride, hasn't he? And the, it, it's great to see the momentum build because in the in the start, yeah, the, you, know, you get a little bit of interest. And then some of the stuff that's um, come out in the press, you know, BBC getting hold of it, Sky. You know, he was interviewed by Sky before the game. He was on the pitch at half-time. Um, and it's really, really snowballed as the season's gone on. And it's uh, it's fantastic achievement. Um, it's a great, great guy, Scott. I, I've, chatted, I've chatted to him a couple of times and also met up with him. Um, we went for one of the um, Burnley ladies matches at uh, Padium uh, earlier in the season as well. I had a good chat with him at half-time. Uh, in the second half of that game as well, and his, uh, yeah, really, really, really good achievement of of his. And um, the the good thing about it is the uh, the benefit of the charities as well. We've talked about Burnley FC in the community, but then also getting the other um, community charities of all the other Premier League clubs involved as well. So there's a, a, a whole lot of money now that's going to do a real lot of good to uh, to all those organisations over the next, well, however however long that money lasts. But it's a a real pot of money and. Yeah, it's it's, mm. it's a, a marvelous achievement. Yeah, it really is. It's something that's massively incredible. And he's now talking about finding his next challenge, which he's he's talking about running to Qatar for the World Cup in twenty twenty two. I just I can't quite. I think it's like four thousand and thirty two miles. I'd need to set off now. I I wouldn't. I wouldn't make four miles. <laughs> I just <laughs> I can't run. I'm not a runner. My sister's I'd be early. Walking. Yeah. <laughs> Crikey, I think you should have set off about a year ago, Dave. Uh, my sister's an, I don't think she's an elite runner, I think she's an ultra runner. I think there is a difference in levels. And she does these crazy runs as well. And I just, I've got so much admiration for them. I think one of the things that, one of my favourite things about Scott, Scott Cunliffe's journey, um, he spent 
two decades, he spent 20 years working in Southeast Asia for charities. And actually, one of, one of his running and his charity work has come from developing post-traumatic stress disorder just from what he saw out there and the conditions and the conflicts and everything that he, he saw while he was working away from home. And he said that his runnings put him in such a strong place himself mentally and he's no longer taking um he's not no longer taking medication for panic attacks and that he's in a really strong place he's not had one now for quite some time um and i just to me i just this guy just needs he needs recognizing on a national scale we talk about the um new year's honors lists that come out and i don't even think this is hyperbole to suggest that somebody needs to be um, contacting the crown and saying, you know, uh, services to entertainment, services to theatre, and things like that. This guy has done an incredible job. So we are going to be having Scott on the show. Um, I've been saying that for ages now, and we did have a laugh to Scott and I on Sunday when we finally got to speak. In that, we've—I must have said this announcement to you about twelve times this season, but we've just not been able to make either of our diaries work. Um, but he is coming. We're actually going to do a full um, hour-long special where I'm going to sit down with him and just talk through all the various challenges that he faced. He's got all sorts of stories from the season um, that he's going to share with you all. And it's going to be an absolutely fantastic episode. So we're going to try and get that in in the next week before the donations page closes so that we can have a little bit of a last minute surge in getting him some money. Um, so watch out for that. And in the meantime, Dave, do you want to tell everybody if they haven't yet donated how they do? Yeah, the best way is via the uh, Just Giving page that's been set up. So that's uh, justgiving.com. Uh, and if you search for The Runaway Challenge, it'll come up with uh, that. I'm sure that we'll get that uh, out a link on the podcast and on uh, social media as well. Excellent stuff. Um, and then the final thing to pick up from that uh, audio on Sunday night is, of course... And you've already mentioned them, Dave, because you went to a game not so long ago. Our fantastic Burnley BFC women who have been confirmed champions of the National League Division 1 North. And they actually finished the season 13 points clear in that first place. So I thought uh, Liam and Joe were absolutely fantastic when I spoke to them. They were genuinely really expiring, uh, expiring, inspiring, expiring don't want to say that inspiring Jolia, you were inspiring I assure you and Jo Blesser had this huge trophy that they'd got in the afternoon and she was just walking around the whole of, of the awards with it in her hand like she just wouldn't let go of it and to me if just one little girl looks at the, those players and says you know what I want to do that and wants to get out there and kick a ball I can't think of many more inspiring ways that they can get involved. Um, and next season, they're going to be playing their football in the Northern Premier Division, which for those of you who don't quite know how that fits in the, the world of women's football, they're going to be playing in the third tier of women's football. So essentially what our League One is. Um, interestingly, Blackburn Rovers ladies won the Northern Premier Division. So they're going up to the Championship next year. Um, so we won't have an East Lanks women's derby next year, I'm afraid. But, um, you know, Burnley are hot on their tails and I can't wait until they get promoted to the Championship next season and uh, we start having some some East Lanks derbies from our ladies' team. Um, Dave, just a very quick one on that one. Um, I think 
it's been disappointing this year because it, you'll remember we started with Gemma Avery at the beginning of the season who had intended to give us regular updates. Unfortunately, she, she's not been able to do that because of, of career. Um, she's got herself a new job, which has just really shackled her in terms of, of being able to record and, and what she's been able to cover. Um, so we are going to look at that over the summer and see what we can bring next season. Uh, but Dave, before we do that, you've been down there. You've been to see our women. How do our listeners get involved in following BFC Women? Well, yeah, it was interesting you say about the uh, Blackburn Rovers. That was the game that I saw. It was a, a, a cup game, and uh, they looked a imp- very impressive side. Actually, did uh, uh, did Rovers? Um, they scored a goal in the first half, um, but um, Burnley stayed in the game. It wasn't until they tried to go for it later on, obviously being a cup game and being a goal down, they had to go for it uh, that Rovers scored again. But uh, yeah, they, they they look a good side. Um, so it, it'll be a challenge. I think. You, take, I'm sorry, you can't say that on a Burnley podcast. Well, I don't care which branch and what flavour <laughs> they are. We can never, ever acknowledge that any Blackburn side looks a good side. Wash your mouth out. I think we've got some catching up to do, but it's it's it, it, we're coming from a position where, again, you know, going back in time for the, the, the Burnley men's team, there were times when we were a long, long way behind Blackburn Rovers. We're now a long way ahead. So, um it, Two consecutive promotions is amazing. It may be consolidation next season, um, but there's the, the certainly a momentum building within the setup there, and uh, they've done remarkably well. Um, and hope they can continue that into next season as well. I do hope so. I, I just think that we've got a fantastic set of girls, and they've really flourished under the the BFC community umbrella this year. And I really want to do more to raise awareness with them. It's uh, it's very difficult when you've got you, you know fingers in so many pies at the moment. But we've got to make a real effort next season to to help promote our girls because you know it's 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 strong and it's a community and it, it's something that we can really look to push and, and the more exposure that we get as a as a club and a town the better um so before we go we, we're going to move finally to looking at our final game of the season Dave how has a full season gone already talk us through the Arsenal game give us some head-to-heads yeah Arsenal um we play 54 times against Arsenal at Turf Moor um Burnley have got uh, 24 wins have been 12 draws and uh, 18 defeats again these go way back into time so we're not going to go into too much detail um about the earlier games um other than to say that uh, we did beat them last time in the Premier League uh, or top flight as it was in the 70s um, it was uh, December 1973 when we last beat them at Turf Moor in a league game. Uh, that was uh, that was 2-1 when Jimmy Adamson was manager, December uh, 1973. And the goal scorers that day were Ray Hankin and Colin Waldron. We'd actually gone a goal down early on. Uh, we were losing 1-0 at half-time and came back and won 2-1. Um, but we do have a victory a little bit more recently than that. We had a, um, a Carling Cup win uh, under Owen Coyle in December uh, 2008. Uh, we won 2-0 with two goals from Kevin McDonald um, and really outplayed Arsenal on the day and were worthy winners, I would say, in that one. Um, and then since then, we've had four Premier League meetings at Turf Moor and they've all been relatively low-scoring affairs. The first one was uh, a 1-1 draw. Um, it was a midweek match. So we don't play many uh, midweek matches in the uh, Premier League, but this was uh, midweek. Um, in December 2009, uh, Cesc Fabregas uh, scored the opening goal for Arsenal 
and then Graham Alexander replied with a penalty. But that doesn't tell the story of the game. Burnley played really, really well that day and were unlucky uh, not to get more out of the game than a point. And then the three games since that, uh, Sean Dyche has been in charge of. Um, and they've all been uh, 1-0 defeats, unfortunately. We've had um, uh, controversy as well, um, in certainly in the last couple of games. Uh, we had a, a 90th or added uh, time goal uh, from Lauren Koscielny, who managed to put it in with his uh, hand. Uh, that was uh, October 2016. Um, and then, uh, more recently than that, um, Alexis Sanchez scored a goal in the 90th minute. That was November 2017. Um, when uh, Aaron Ramsey had gone down for a, a, a theatrical um, uh, uh, dive, uh, referee uh, gave a penalty, and again uh, a very very late goal in the uh, injury time, and Arsenal sneaked another win. So putting those to one side, and also thinking about the uh, injustice we've had playing uh, down there, I think we do one. We 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 owe Arsenal one. Um, in terms of Sunday, so <laughs> their, their mind might be on other things. Um, I mean, we're recording now. I don't know what the score is in the in tonight's game, uh, but they Ooh, may have other things it. on their mind. Let's say. I do hope so. Yeah. Let's have a look. I kind of, I kind of wish that. Um, I said, I'm going to have a look at this now. Oh no, that's playoffs, Europa League. Oh, it's one-one. Ooh. So they are four-two up on aggregate. Aggregate. Um, I kind of hoped that going into the last game of the season that Arsenal would have something riding it like they needed to beat us to get fourth place and we either equalised or got a winning goal in the 90-12th minute from an offside handball position just to deny them Champions League. That would have been lovely. But it's not meant to be. Not meant to be. I think they'll be resting they'll definitely players. Do a win, though. They'll be resting players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think um, they can't get top four now so no. they have to win the Europa League to get Champions League exactly. football. Um and that'd be some that'd be some feat actually for that Emery's first game first season in charge actually I think I'd be I think I'd, if it does end up an all actually can we have a quick pause here Dave how absolutely crazy has has football been this week It's been a bit bonkers hasn't it Yeah from uh, Vincent <laughs> Company's goal to uh, two incredible uh, comebacks first of all Liverpool against uh, Barcelona and then uh, Tottenham against Ajax it's it's almost like fairy tale stuff the fact that both of the well. In, uh, Manchester City to one side, the two European games have been incredible. And yeah. I think, you know, as, right. as a neutral point to one side, I think it's good that there are two English teams um, in the Champions League final. I think uh, yes, a lot of I people, do. a lot of English fans of other clubs will have their views on who they want to win and don't want to win. But I think at the end of the day, it's good for English football if there's two English teams. And the could, we could get a full sweep, couldn't we? We could get um, yeah. Arthur against Chelsea should, out really. in uh, Baku for the... Uh, for the Europa League final as well, which would be a massive achievement to have uh, four English teams in the uh, in the two finals. I think it would be because there's been a lot of criticism a lot of the years about how we we think that we're the best league in the world, but actually we can't really back it up with trophies on the European stage. But to have both European Cups dominated by English teams, is, it would be incredible. Um, I kind of felt sorry for Tottenham last night in that I think we'd all were so exhausted by the emotions that ran through the Anfield game that there didn't seem to be quite the reaction for the Spurs game. I was just, I was numb. I was just, when that when that equaliser went in in the Spurs game, I, I was just sat there staring at my TV going like, what? How has this happened? Um, I'm going to put you on the spot then, Dave. Let's assume that both Arsenal and Chelsea get through tonight. 
and we do have a full sweep of English teams in both cup finals. Who do you want to win both? Who do you want? This is who do you want to win, not who do you think will win? Um, I do love testing you on these because you're an absolute <laughs> politician with some of the questions I ask you. You mm. honestly, you deflect from the question so many times, and I'm like, you put me on the spot, um, no, yeah. Who do you want to? I'll start just to give you so we don't our listeners aren't waiting forever. I want Spurs to win the Champions League um, for no other reason other. I couldn't really care, give a monkey's eye the way, but the thought of Kieran Trippier being a Champions League winner fills my little heart with joy. So I'm going Spurs for Champions League and uh, Arsenal for the Europa League for two reasons. Number one, I quite like Emery. And number two, I just can't stand Chelsea. And after their diva fit that they had when we played them a couple of weeks ago, I'd quite like them to lose. There you go. Over to you, Dave. I'm going the other way around. I'm going to say um, Chelsea and Liverpool. What? Oh, on what ground? Well, Do you know, I'm sure you just like to argue with me. <laughs> uh, Le- Leicester have two evils, I think, with um, uh, 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 for, for Chelsea ahead of Arsenal. I think all, all the... Um, times we've had uh, Arsenal yeah, doing the true. dirty overs. That's why I'm going for Chelsea for that one. Um, and, uh, yeah, OK, I'll give you that one. Uh, the, um, from a family point of view, we've got family who were Liverpool supporters, so I'd never get forgiven if I said uh, uh, okay. uh, Spurs no, to... That's uh, fair Spurs enough. <laughs> that's fair enough. Well, that's, I'm kind of glad you went the other way. So next, it won't be next week, will it? We'll, we'll know over the summer. Who got their wish? Maybe we got one each. We don't know. Maybe it won't be an Arsenal-Chelsea European Cup final. I don't know. Um, I've completely lost my train of thought where we went to about football and what we were doing. So I'm going to wrap up the podcast on that because it's going to take me ages to remember where I was before I went off on a tangent about the bonkers nature of football. Um, How can you not love football? It has the ability to make us laugh, cry, jump up and down with joy, be utterly distraught. And regardless of all that, keep going back week after week. And we go into next week in our final podcast of this incredible season. And it's been just a joy. And no matter what trials and tribulations come our way, we'll always be claret. We'll always love this club and we'll always turn up next week and support the boys. Um, Thanks this week go to my esteemed colleague, Statman Dave, who joined us on the panel. Thank you, Dave. Um, thanks again to producer Matt, who um, has not only had to do the audio this week, but also had to put in all of my crazy shouting audio from the Player of the Year Awards. So thanks, Matt. Um, and thanks to all of the contributors um, this week. So we had... Let me just make sure I get everybody in. We had Peter and Emma. We had Andrea Stamp. We had John Lear from BFC Women. And we had Scott Cunliffe. So thank you to all of you. I don't think I've missed anybody out. No, I haven't. Um, And finally, thanks to you for downloading and listening to this podcast. Your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. We will be back next week to close the curtains on this fantastic Premier League season. I've been Natalie Bromley. This has been the Known and Never podcast. Until next time. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything. 
from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.